Welcome to Changeport's Future Talent Podcast, our new series of exclusive interviews with business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. My name is Tom Ritchie and I'm an editorial assistant at Changeboard. Today I'm joined by Tim Campbell, Head of Global Citizenship at Alexander Mann Solutions. Tim first became known to the general public in 2005 when he won the inaugural series of The Apprentice. After working for Lord Sugar for two years, Tim has become a passionate advocate of future talent initiatives, both through his work at Alexander Mann Solutions and through founding the Bright Ideas Trust, a charitable organisation which encourages young entrepreneurs from disadvantaged backgrounds to start business ventures. Tim has consulted with many high-profile organisations and has served as the London Mayor's Ambassador for Trade and Enterprise and also as the UK Government's Secretary of State's Enterprise Advisor. We look forward to welcoming Tim to next year's Future Talent Conference where he will be facilitating the day's proceedings. In this podcast, we discuss Tim's passion for future talent initiatives, in particular the increasing appeal of apprenticeships for young people, how businesses can promote greater diversity in their workforce, and also what it's like to work for Lord Sugar. Hi Tim, thanks for joining us today. Um, What have you been up to since you won The Apprentice? It's been 12 years now. How has your career progressed since then, and has it followed the path you expected it to? Well, it's been an interesting uh, journey post-Apprentice. Um, I think that's a positive thing because essentially I haven't been on the normal route through career as most people who will be listening to this may have gone. University, work for your chosen employer, do a different couple of roles and then get up to senior management positions. Essentially, I've had a very entrepreneurial journey and I've st- started a couple of companies. Uh, I consult with a couple of businesses and I also have my true passion hat of uh, HR by working with uh, Alexander Mann Solutions and leading lots of their emerging talent, future talent uh, initiatives within the company. So I'm quite fortunate that because of that round way I've taken in a career, I've seen how businesses from an entrepreneurial side need and have to attract talent. And also from within a structural uh, progression, I've seen how business develop talent internally. And both of those are positively and negatively impacted by future talent initiatives. And that's one of the things that we'll be touching on throughout lots of the conference about how we get the best of that next generation of talent. So, um, yeah, just to touch on that, um, you've been a passionate advocate for apprenticeships um, in your role with Alexander Man Solutions and also elsewhere. How are you promoting them as a viable option for young people who may feel that they need to go to university? And do you wish they were more of a viable option when you were starting out in your career? The way that I'm, I've taken to it is that there is no war between vocational and academic uh, qualifications or routes through education. I think there are different strokes for different folks. And based upon who you are, there might be a pathway that's right for you, which is purely academic, going to university, or that you may need a more vocational hands-on route, which touches into the way that you learn and develop. I think for far too long, we've had an education system that's predicated on a, the old way of doing things, which is that you'll sit at a desk, someone will tell you from on hire what's supposed to be done and you'll go away and then take a test. When you look at um, the industries that are represented at the Change Board Conference and who we'll be speaking to, every single one of those industry sectors has changed dramatically over the last hundred or so years. When you look at the education system that lots of those people recruit talent from, it's very similar in terms of the kids are still sitting at pews, they're still looking at maybe whiteboards as opposed to chalkboards now, but they're still doing very similar ways of learning and they're tested on their memory. 
what we're finding now is that employers are saying, I need you to be employable. So actually, the vocational way is, is taking more of an emphasis because individuals have to prove they can do the job while working on the job. So that's why apprenticeships are so interesting for me because mm. they couple the academic element of education with the hands-on, can you do the job that you're actually trained to element, which the people are tested on. I think how you square the circle now is with the two things. Firstly, the government agenda around the levy payments, which is forcing lots of companies now to think about L&D and training and development of talent and where they come from. And then also you now have degree level apprenticeships, which is a real um, powerful tool to convince some of the biggest influencers around future talent, which is parents. Because if Mr. and Mrs. Spiff still want to tell Johnny and Jennifer went to university, the neighbours, the degree apprenticeships allow that to do it. So I think there's a bit of a false argument between either or, but now, thankfully, we have a level playing field where vocational skills are seen in the same light as academic. So kind of as, as part of those um, new wave of apprenticeships that are coming through, um, more of a focus is being putting on future-proofing young people's skill sets. Um, like you said, the education system might not be the best way of ensuring that people are prepared for work. But how can we help young workers prepare for their future once they come out of education? And what skills are going to be the most important? It's really interesting. I think businesses for far too long have waited for education, the education system, to produce potential candidates which they can then go and recruit from. So whether that's being on... Uh, campus and talking to, to lots of candidates or it might be around getting earlier in that career curve and going and and uh, doing assemblies at schools to make sure that the brands are in front of the young people that's that's all well and good but I think businesses are now having to do much more I think there's a big push around uh, sensible and uh, valuable work experience and businesses offering and opening up those opportunities and also being very clear about what they actually want from young people because there's mixed messages from the business community unfortunately because you'll hear lots of companies talking about well give me the right person forget their qualifications if they've got the right attitude I'll train them to do the stuff fantastic all encouraging but then they come to the, the company's website and it says well unless you've got a two one or you've had this qualification we don't want to speak to you and it's like mm. well what do you want so I think businesses have to be very clear about what they actually want to make their businesses work and they can do that in a number of different ways look at the superstars within their own companies and look what personality traits what performance criteria they measure those by and reverse that into their application process I think the way that companies future-proof uh, the talent they're looking for is constantly be feeding back into the education system about what they need. I'm doing an, an awful lot of work with young people at the moment who are all involved in blockchain technology or cryptocurrency. Many will know it by uh, Bitcoin and some of the yeah. nonsense things that they'll be hearing on the news. But it's far deeper than that. Having a distributed ledger system which can transfer information uh, immediately between two parties is a, a fundamental way that business is going to change in the future and it's going to impact every single one of our business in the way we're doing that. I don't hear many companies talking to young people about that technology or what it means. I don't hear many young people who actually understand what it means and the implications for their own lives. There must be a better conversation where businesses, which is at the front of development, can reverse that into or inform the education system about what they need to be teaching young people in order to be future-proof for the future. In 
this in the next issue of, of Change World magazine, we're focusing on BAME representation in businesses. Um, and we'd like to get your opinion on what, what can be done to encourage greater diversity at the top of UK business. I think uh, it's a really timely uh, point to have this conversation and I commend Change Board for taking quite a brave step of how, how where they're going to challenge people's perceptions and ask some quite tough questions around the diversity and inclusion um, conundrum, I, I like to put it. Why do I call it that? Because essentially we're in the state where we have had discrimination laws in place for a long time. Um, unfortunately, the reflection of our work practices is not backing up the power of that, that law. So if I, it is illegal to discriminate on people on personal characteristics, etc. But we still see from our numbers, the lack of women, the lack of ethnic groups who are in senior positions. What can companies do about that? I think firstly, they've got to look at the, the structures and processes within their business around how they recruit and where they get talent from, both in terms of developing their own talent, because you look at lots of organisations at the bottom of the pyramid, there's lots of diversity, but then that's not going or transferring to senior levels. And also how they attract talent from outside. Who are they talking to? How are they talking to those individuals? And what feedback are they then using to make that process more efficient and not it being in a position of discriminating against talent? I think what's forcing this conversation to be much more interesting is that the world is getting smaller. We're having to do businesses with different territories. Uh, for any business um, on a global scale, they know that Africa and Asia and India are, are colossal powers now and not just seen as the work, for, work the workhorses or the, 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 the dumps of the world to put, put rubbish. Essentially, talent is coming from these places. And if people want to do business in these particular areas, uh, which were seen as emerging markets, they have to have a workforce that's reflective of those. In addition to that, the business case is now well justified around why that diversity works. Diversity of thought coming from diversity of people uh, and genders is incredibly important around coming up with the solutions of tomorrow. Um, what I think businesses have to be aware of is asking themselves challenging questions. Are we recruiting people who just look like us? And are we recruiting from the same places? And are we missing out on talent? Because if you are missing out on talent, that means your competitors are going to get that talent and you're going to be in a bit worse position. So this isn't about um, doing the right thing. This is about doing a business uh, sensible decision around attracting talent into the company. And on that point, will greater emphasis on apprenticeships help with that because if you're historically just going to be grad, uh, picking up graduates from Oxbridge which we know is not the most diverse of um, institutions but instead you're putting a focus on training people up from the from the get-go and then you're coming in from different talent pools mm -hmm. is that going to help? Um, I, I, I I think on current statistics, no, is a short answer. Unfortunately, the apprenticeship proposition hasn't been the, um, the saviour of the diversity talent pipelines that lots of people were hoping it was going to be. And I think because the assumption was predicated on that, those from ethnic minority groups had lower aspirations, mm. they may therefore be more attracted to apprenticeship proposition. That's been far from the truth for two reasons. One, the apprenticeship proposition has been about attracting top-level talent who are making a conscious decision about their career paths to go in a different direction, not about those who can't make it to university, the old way of looking at vocational education. And it, there's, a, there's a lack of awareness. If we're talking about ethnic minority groups or even if we're talking about gender diversity, 
to make the assumption that people will take that pathway without understanding what has forced yeah. people in different directions is always on a hide into nothing. Within the ethnic uh, diversity groups that we speak to, interested parties are not taking the apprenticeship route, not because they're not interested in the qualification, but it's not seen as prestigious as going to a university route. And once again, going back to that, uh, the, the influencer group around that decision maker, if your parents are telling you that you have to go to university, you're not going to think an apprenticeship is any good. We need to educate the parents around the power of an apprenticeship and get them to help the young people make wiser decisions and choices. Good stuff. And now just to kind of move back onto more of a personal kind of angle, um, what has been the biggest challenge you've faced in your career? Um, I think the biggest challenge I've faced in my career is understanding what I actually want to do as a career. Um, I've gone in lots of different directions and in the old way, the old days of recruitment, I would have been seen as a flip-flopper, which would have been a negative thing. It's quite interesting how the times have changed and now we talk about portfolio careers and mm. young people will have seven or eight jobs before they end up retiring. Um, whereas when I was growing up, if you were seen with several uh, several companies on your CV, you weren't seen as reliable. So it's quite interesting how that's changed. But I, I don't have an, uh, a, a straight line um, progression around where I want to be. I do things that I know are going to help the next generation make wiser decisions. Hence why I focus a lot of my time on apprenticeships and emerging talent. And I do an awful lot with regards to entrepreneurship amongst young people with Bright Ideas Trust. So I I wish if I could go back and change anything, and I, I don't really want to go back to the time that I had lots of spots and, and, and an afro, but I, I wish if I could go back, if I could go back, what I would want to tell my younger self is trust in your heart, trust in the things that you're good at. I think we spend far too much time in human resources and in education telling people what they're bad at and to improve those things. When actually we should be focusing on what we're good at because specialists usually make better headway than generalists. Yeah. And how would you describe yourself both inside and outside of work? Is there much of a difference or are you, are you pretty much the, uh, what you see is what you get? I'm really fortunate that I'm I'm afforded the the, the time to be able to bring my whole self to work. Um, I think when we're talking about DNI, we should be talking about uh, inclusion much more. And inclusion is the the pinnacle for me. Diversity is quite easy because you can just look at numbers, get quotas, etc. But making those people feel inclusive, where they can be themselves at work, is the big challenge. So there isn't much difference around me uh, being at home or here. I'm a bit more of a bum when I'm at home. I, wear, I don't wear as, as nice clothes, but I'll mess up your suits. But anyway, that's another thing. But I think I'm lucky enough that I can let my personality and my experience and knowledge all come together at work just as I would at home. So I don't have to put on a mask. And I think lots of people, um, when they're trying to get on in work, feel they have to put on a mask to be mm. somebody else in the work environment. And the difficulty that has, particularly from a, a, a well-being or mental health perspective, is it creates this dichotomy where you, you, you feel that there is two things that you have to do in order to survive. And that's hard to, to maintain over a long period of time, I think. We'll just finish up with some quick fire questions. Yep. Um, so we're going to do some either ors and then favourites. Okay, cool. Ready. So either or, coffee or tea? Uh, tea. Sweet or savoury? Sweet. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. 
Apple or Android? Andrew, Apple, Apple all day. And finally, Nick Hewer or Margaret Mountford? <laughs> uh, only because she's uh, my board director. Of, uh, she's the director of our board. It would have to be Margaret, but I love you too, Nick. So what were they like in terms of to kind of work with on the show and how was Lord Sugar to work with on the show as well? Do you know what? Nick and Margaret were amazing. Nick and Margaret actually put in the hard graph because they're the ones who followed us around all the time. We spent most of the time with them. So we actually got to know them a lot more during the filming of the show than we did Lord Sugar, which I obviously had the privilege of working for him yeah. a number of years afterwards. Um, the two of them are incredibly bright, incredibly knowledgeable individuals who have had amazing careers. You've got to think, Margaret Mountford was... Uh, one of the only female partners of a substantial law firm, Herbert mm. Smith, it's now a bigger firm now, um, in her time. You don't get to that point of position by accident. Um, she was amazing and still is in terms of her knowledge, understanding and management of uh, both the corporate governance of our charity, Bright Dears Trust, and the work that she does around a number of different charities and schools that she sits on as, as chair of governors. Nick Hewer another phenomenally talented individual who is an expert with regards to PR, but also somebody who has the, 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 the common touch around being able to transfer that knowledge to individuals and can he tell a story? Oh my gosh, when he talks about the Sultan of Brunei and, and some of the, the days of working in Amstrad PLC um, and supporting Lord Sugar when he was when he took over at Tottenham are amazing. Mm. And both of them are amazing storytellers. So I'm really fortunate I've had to work with both of them. Lord Sugar, an amazing man. Belligerent, um, tough if you're on the other side of a negotiation table but somebody I have so much respect for because coming from an inner city environment, overcoming the challenges of that statistical um, point of not being successful if you were born in that area to the point where he now runs a number of different companies and supports some charitable uh, charitable causes, I have nothing but respect for him. Um, do I want to be on the other side of his finger? No, but I didn't have to worry about it. So <laughs> no, right. you didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> so just kind of moving on from there, who's yep. your favourite Apprentice contestant from over the years? There's been a few. Wow, there's been a few. My favourite uh, has to be Syrah uh, because we got to the final of the first year. We were, of the final four, all of us were immigrants to this country, actually, quite interestingly. We were all grafters. We were independent grafters. Um, but I have so much respect for Syrah because... Although that she was perceived as the gobby, runaround saleswoman, she's a hustler. She mm. understands the power of hard work and she's a totally dedicated family woman. Um, and for me, I'll always call her my big sister because in the show, that's how she was. But I have a huge amount of respect what she's gone on to do subsequent. And s some more favourites to uh, wrap things up. So your favourite song? Favourite song? Um, it would be Luther Vandross, uh, So Amazing. Great. Great choice. <laughs> uh, favourite film? What's my favourite film? I like Seven, but I also like um, Mississippi Burning. Yeah. Again, great choices. Yeah. Uh, and did you have a childhood hero? My childhood hero um, was, aside from my mum, who worked bloody hard to make sure our three kids weren't statistics as a sing coming from a single parent family, uh, was Sir Trevor MacDonald. Why did I love Sir Trevor? Because he was... A decent guy who represented some personality traits which I wanted to follow through. Let's get him at the conference next year. <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, and what's your favourite piece of advice you've been given? Favourite piece of advice? In business, my favourite piece of advice uh, came from Lord Sugar. Um, 
get yourself a good lawyer, a good accountant, and always trust the numbers. Always trust the numbers. So that served me very well. Be unemotional about the decisions you, you make, but based on the information and data that you have to make those decisions. And in terms of life, um, my best piece of advice always came from my mother, which says, happy wife, happy life. It's so very true. Well, it's <laughs> always good to end on uh, wisdom from, from a mum, isn't it? You know, it's <laughs> always a nice touch to end on. Thanks, Tim. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon.